Well, hello there, friends. We are back. It is Syracuse Sports. Hi, my name is Brent. I'll be your ringmaster for today. How'd you get here today? Did you happen to find us on the street with uh, old smashed pumpkins from earlier this week? That's fantastic. Better way, though, probably a more efficient way, is to uh, subscribe, is to follow on Spotify, on Apple, on YouTube, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast. Smash that subscribe button. Sound like the kids there. Smash that button. And then uh, new episodes of Syracuse Sports will be delivered to you so you can listen on demand when you want. We are presented today by our friends at Krause Health. Krause Health is a place where you can find a career you'll love, the exclusive healthcare partner for Syracuse Athletics. We are going to shine the spotlight on Syracuse basketball today. My friend, my colleague, my uh, fellow Ghostbusters, we know too many quotes from that movie, Partner in Crime, Mike Waters is going to join me here, and we're going to do a couple of things for you. We are going to tell you kind of like what we learned on our summer vacation, what we learned about Syracuse basketball in exhibition play, in two exhibition basketball games at the JMA Wireless Dome. And then I have five questions that Mike and I are going to discuss, the five questions that I think will define the upcoming 2023-24 basketball season, the first under head coach Adrian Red Autry. Now, at last night's, and I'm recording this on Thursday, so this was Wednesday's exhibition game against St. Rose, I had one question on my mind in the postgame locker room, and that question was this. What do you know about this team on day one? We hear so much from coaches and players this time of year. Oh, we've got so much work to do and all the cliches. And those are certainly all true with the season being so young. But what do you know on day one? So let's take a listen to a few things that coaches and players had to say about that, starting with Coach Autry. What, like, what do you know about your team that you're confident from day one they can do? You know, one thing about this team is uh, it's a competitive group. Um, you know, they love to compete. They love to play. You know, the one thing about this is that I don't, I don't worry about if these guys want to play or not. So they're going to compete and they're going to fight. You know, this team has to fight. You know, our, our preseason um, has been very competitive, very spirited. Um, and I see that um, still up until now. I don't think that's going to change. I know that's not going to change. You know, whether we make passes or not, I don't know. I know we're going to compete this year for sure. Judah Mintz missed the first exhibition game for precautionary reasons. He looked pretty good in the second, scoring 20 points, getting to the free throw line a lot, and it was certainly a difference maker in terms of the pace and the energy. And as you're going to hear Mike Waters say later on this podcast, the engine that drives the orange. He had a similar answer to his head coach when I asked him. <laughs> I know we got a lot of heart. Uh, I know we're going to be a lot more athletic than, than a lot of other teams. And I know we got a, a, a good group of uh, guys leading us uh, when it comes to Coach Red, G-Mac, and the rest of the staff. So uh, we're confident in what we have, um, and we're just ready to show what we can do this year. His backcourt mate, J.J. Starling, said this. I know we're really good, and we're fast, for sure. Um, you know, when we put effort uh, along with, like, our size and speed, it's hard. It's hard to stop us. Um, and we did a better defensive job today, um, you know, whereas our exhibition one, we were still figuring things out. Um, but once we, you know, get on the same page, everybody on the same page, we're clicking. Oh, man, it's going to be a scary sight. From day one, this team feels like it can play hard and they're going to come after you. And that is going to be particularly important on the defensive end with Syracuse's switch most of the time, we think, to man-to-man defense. 
So I wanted to get another coaching perspective on this. And uh, assistant coach Alan Griffin looked on the defensive side of the ball for what he thinks this team can jump right off the page. I know we could be a very, very special team on defense if we lock in and do, you know, the, the, what's necessary in terms of just being solid. You know, sometimes we tend to, you know, take for granted our quickness and our athleticism. And uh, it'll help us sometimes, but for the most part, I think we're going to be a really good defensive team. So that's what a couple of coaches and a couple of players know from day one. What do Mike Waters and I know here on the eve of another basketball season coming? Let's tell you. What do we learn in exhibition play? Five questions that define the season? Let's do it. And then one more thing. Have you noticed how college football coaches have been going viral a lot lately? That's not by accident. We'll talk about that later. But now, our friend Mike Waters. Ladies and gentlemen, we bring in the key master of Syracuse basketball coverage, Mike Waters. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm fine, and I'm praying that you're not the gatekeeper. (laughs) (laughs) I am not. I am not the gatekeeper. I am not floating four feet above my covers at the moment. But I am here talking hoops with you. And, Mike, it snowed this week here in central New York. As a matter of fact, we wake up November 1st, day after Halloween, The snow is flying, and I'm not kidding you. The first thing I said when I was drinking my cup of coffee, looking out the window, I said, okay, now it's basketball season, right? Because the snow is flying. We're two games into exhibition play. New Hampshire coming up on Monday. Another uh, movie reference there if anybody got that. At the Dome. So I thought Mike and I could get together and do a couple of things. Almost like we're doing our What I Learned in My Summer Vacation Assignment for class. We're going to tell you what we learned in exhibition basketball play at the JMA Wireless Dome. And then I have five questions that I think will define this upcoming 2023-24 season. So Mike, I'm going to start with an observation and then I'll go to you. All right. What I learned in exhibition play, and I think I kind of had this hint anyway, but now I know, and no offense, Adrian, but Adrian Autry's press conferences are going to be pretty boring. This is not the Jim Beheim show, folks. You are not going to get, you know, Adrian Autry spouting off on world events. You're not going to see Autry typically use his press conference to rip apart his players. He's been very cordial with the media. I think he'll continue to be. I just don't think Autry is going to go to the Jim Beheim school of hold your breath. Anything can happen. In this press conference, I think it's just going to be pretty standard. He's just going to talk about basketball, and that's about it. I definitely learned that even in two pressers. I'm like, I kind of get a sense of of where this is going. You're definitely right. Uh, Adrian chooses his words uh, very carefully. Uh, You know, he's a first-year head coach, you know, first of all. It's not just like – I think a lot of first-year head coaches are like this, unless they're just genuinely the bombastic type. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Adrian's never been that way. I think he's basically assuming his own personality. This is a reflection on who he is. Uh, He chooses his words carefully. He doesn't like to embarrass anybody publicly, whether it's a player or a reporter. Uh, So, yeah, we're not going to get the instant Jim Boeheim post uh, press conference headlines, which, to be honest, sometimes as reporters, we didn't mind that. You know, we we get a quick headline and we're boom and we're off and running. But 
you know, at the same time, he's very thoughtful. Uh, and as we get into the season and we have questions that I think have a little bit more meat to them, like, you know, trends and, and stuff to really ask about. Uh, I, I think he's going to be good uh, on that front. So yeah, yes. it's different. That's for sure. I think he'll be the opposite of Bayheim there when, you know, you typically asked him about basketball. Sometimes he would push back as if like either I just said that in like his little monologue at the beginning of the presser, or I know more than you. Why are you even asking this question where I feel like Autry will be a little more thoughtful. will explain things. will tell us what he saw out there. And there was a test of that early on, Mike, Benny Williams was suspended from Wednesday night's game due to a violation of team rules in the past. Those kind of situations could get a little snippy. Maybe. With Jim in the media, but you know, Autry still didn't say anything about it, but d- kind of did it in his own polite way. And you'll see him again soon. And all the all the wording you use in these things when you don't want to tell the media anything, but it was not contentious. It was just uh, no, he's suspended, and the uh, the statement spoke for us all. And uh, we'll see what happens from here, kind of thing. Yeah, when he said that then he would be back soon, he didn't mind or react really at all when I followed up with. Monday, <laughs> referring Monday to the regular season opener against New Hampshire, um, he smiled and said, "Soon." Not so, to get not to get a world of speculation while we're on that point, Mike, and I want to get to your your first observation. But while while we're on the subject, we're in a world of speculation here because we don't know. But one thing that you, Donna, and I were talking about last night at the game is we wonder if this is a you brought it up first year head coach laying down the law. Benny did something, It's a, clearly a violation of team rules, as they stated out, and Adrian has to send the message here and now that whatever it is will not be tolerated and this rule will not be broken. Yes. If you're a coach or a teacher or anybody in a position where uh, you're dealing with a lot of people, maybe a boss, a new boss, um, if you don't put down the, you know, the, the law f- initially, if you don't discipline your employees or your students or your players or whatever it is right away, it's hard to, to then instill that after the fact, uh, you know, you want you give them a little bit too much leash. So, you know, I think he's doing a smart thing here, whatever the transgression was that many committed, whether it was minor or major, um, it has to be addressed immediately. Otherwise, the rest of the players are going to go, well, Coach Autry had this rule, but as soon as Benny violated it, all he did was talk to him. Or, all, you know, he did, you know, he said you were going to miss a game if you didn't do X. Well, Benny didn't do X, but you know what? He still played in the exhibition game. What's up with that? Guess we don't have to do that, really. You know, so, no, you, 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 you put forth your rules, and then if somebody violates them, I think right away. Otherwise, you're going to get walked all over, and it's really hard to do any kind of discipline after the fact or get people in line. So, yeah, we, we don't know exactly what Benny did, but it does seem like the tenor up there is that he, it won't last long. The, this, this suspension, could he miss Monday's season opener? I guess that is a possibility. Adrian certainly didn't rule it out. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but you know, they've, you know, it's one thing to miss a game against New, New Hampshire, but if this is a serious uh, transgression and in three after three regular season games, they're off to Hawaii and Benny is still isn't back in the fold, then we're going to start to get concerned. But I don't think we're going to get there. 
That's something we learned uh, throughout uh, exhibition play, Mike. I hope I'm not stealing one from you here, but you saw Malik Brown sit out for precautionary reasons. Judah Mintz sit out for precautionary reasons. Moni Urhima sit out for precautionary reasons. And now we have a suspension. So we haven't even played a game that matters. And we've already learned how Adrian Autry is going to handle some of those things. Well, let me turn it over to you for a couple things that you have learned here in exhibition play. Well, I'm going to bore down a little bit more. I'm not going to be as, as broad uh, based as you were there with the general Adrian Autry and his demeanor and everything. I'm, I'm looking at one player and, you know, we were last year, Syracuse had these six freshmen and some were like Judah Mintz. They started all the time. They played really well, but you know, with a few hiccups uh, throughout the season, some guys didn't get a lot of run. And then you had a few guys who were in between. That's where you had like Justin Taylor and Malik Brown and maybe a little bit of Quadir Copeland. And I, we were waiting to see this year, which, you know, how big of a leap some of these kids made from their freshman year to their sophomore years. And I know it's only two exhibitions and we really shouldn't do this, but I think Justin Taylor looks really good. And maybe he's, you know, put himself in a position to have a really good sophomore year. Uh, he's shot it really well from three point range. I think he's like six of 12 from three point range in the two exhibitions that stood out because no one else is making any, um, you know, he's gotten bigger. If you look at his frame, you know, his shoulders, his upper body. I mean, it, it, and he, because of that, I think he makes himself more versatile, you know, in the first exhibition, because Judah Mintz was being held out, Justin started at the two, you know, he's that natural three. I think he's a small forward, but he started at the two last night. When Benny is suspended and they're holding Malik out for precautionary reasons, Justin starts at the four. Right. So a guy who's really a small forward has started two games and not in his position. So he's got versatility, and I think he's just played really well. And I know it's only two exhibitions, uh, but I, I like what I see out of him. That's a good one. And he's like you said, he's had to fill in a couple of spots where maybe he uh, he can play, but it's not his natural position. And that leads me to my next observation, Mike. The three-point line itself. I got questions. Yeah. Now, Justin, as you said, was pretty consistent. It's early. They got to get into a rhythm, get into a flow there. But I think that's a question we had coming in. Just like, how is this going to disperse itself? Judah tried a couple in the St. Rose exhibition game he played in. I don't think it's quite there for him yet. And I'm looking around. Chris Bell certainly has taken a lot of threes whether they're all going to fall or not is kind of one of those things. So I still have questions about who settles in. Like when you need a three, I think Taylor stands out as the guy now, but bell is going to be right there at the top of that list. The three point defense is another one for me. And Mike, you know, we've heard the cries for years. Oh my goodness. All these teams are just shooting threes over the zone. Switch to man. Well, they have, and they're, they're still learning. Because I'm still seeing a lot of the trails to the sideline, a lot of trails to the three-point line that you would see in the zone defense. So I'm being patient. I think we got to let it play out, let these guys figure what man-to-man is and into it. They're excited about it. They want to play it. Every player I talked to last night talked about the hustle and the grind and how hard this team plays, and I'm going to grant you that, especially when they start playing these for real. Mm -hmm. But I'm – I'm observing. I'm, I'm going to put it that way on on that uh, on the three point line on both ends. Yeah, the three point shooting uh, defense uh, in the first game against Damon was not good. Guys were leaving their 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 guy that was supposed to be guarding. 
they were trying to slough off and see if they could get a steal when a guy was driving. They really weren't providing help defense. They were just leaving their man enough to try to take a swipe at the ball as the guy went by. And, but they were leaving their man open. And the Damon guys shot it really, really well. And, yeah, they need to be better. It was a little better against St. Rose. Really, St. Rose's shooting was all one guy, a six foot nine forward. And you figure, well, if Benny didn't play and Malik didn't play, there's the two guys who are mostly going to be guarding that six nine forward in a real game. So uh, it was better. Uh, but I agree. Uh, I, you know, they're, they're going to play man-to-man defense. It, it does need to get a lot better. All right, Mike, before we dive into the five questions, any other uh, what I learned in exhibition play observations you'd like to offer to us? Even though they won and, and looked pretty good against Damon, uh, getting Judah Mintz back uh, for the exhibition against St. Rose, I thought made a big difference in how they looked on the floor. Uh, he is the guy that, you know, he's the engine. You know, I know J.J. Starling did a great job uh, when he had to play point full-time when Judah he missed did. that first exhibition. He was fine. Um, you know, played a really good, solid game. But but Judah is is the aggressor. You know, he wants to attack. And sometimes maybe a little bit too much you know, when he drives. He needs to, like, keep his head up, not always force that off-balance shot in the lane over a big guy. Um, once or twice, he did he did keep his head up. And he found Naheem McLeod for just an easy little dish. And, you know, Naheem can dunk it pretty good. So I think that's a really good idea. If you drive into the lane, always keep your head up and look for the guys. You know, look for someone to dish it to. And if it's not Naheem, it's uh, Malik Brown. Obviously not as tall as Naheem, but more athletic. He's going to be going up for those little mini lobs. You know, the Jason Hart to a Tom Thomas little mini lob. So, uh, I think, but Judah made a difference to me last night, and I know he struggled a little bit with his shot and everything. But when you have a six foot three or six foot four guard going to the free throw line sixteen times, man, that means he's been attacking that defense and attacking the lane, and and he's he's creating things for you. I think the the word you used is appropriate. He's an engine, and yeah. you could you could just see the difference in, in the rev up between game one and game two. And maybe this will come up in our five questions here, Mike, but. I'd be remiss if I didn't say it again. Naheem McLeod is a very, very large human being. I mean, you just, I'm trans, just, I am, I can't even think of a word. I'm just so enthralled when he's out there looking at a seven foot. We we said it last night. There's St. Rose actually had a couple of guys that are 6'10". I'd like to be 6'10 and looking up at somebody five inches taller than you. Like, I just can't comprehend that, so. He is amazing. Um, and he's such a, a bright kid, friendly kid. Uh, he's really he engaging. Is. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, he came up behind me last night in the postgame locker room. And I forget who I was interviewing. It might have been JJ. And all of a sudden, he could. Uh, Naheem just kind of clapped his hand on my shoulder because he wanted to mention like an article or something I'd written about him. My shoulder still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> For him, it was this light little tap on the shoulder. I'm like, geez, it's like Andre the Giant. <laughs> but no, he, he's engaging. And I think, you know, at some of these events where the fans get to be around the players, some of these like dinners and stuff that they have throughout the season and stuff, I would advise fans, if you can get at Naheem's table, do so. He's fun. He is fun. With Quadir Copeland, a very, very close second. Maybe first. In that category. Maybe, Maybe tied for first. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. All right, Michael, five questions that will define the 2023-24 season. Here is my first question. Okay. Do they have the depth? And we've already seen a little bit of a test here mm-hmm. in exhibition play with a couple of guys out for precautionary reasons. Then we throw in a suspension last night from Benny Williams. We're already mixing some pieces around. So before they even played a real game, we've already seen the bench get tested. But do you think they have the depth to sustain a four-month grind in college basketball? Uh, yeah, I really do. Uh, because Judah's obviously healthy. You know, he might have missed a scrimmage in, a, in an exhibition game, but he's he's healthy. They are saying Malik Brown's going to be fine. And if he tweaked a little something over a week ago and they've been careful with him, you know, he's going to have, if they want, you know, he could take two weeks, two full weeks off, miss the New Hampshire game and play against Canisius. And I expect him to be fine. Benny, they, you know, like we were saying, it, it, you know, reading the tea leaves, he's back. The thing that I think really adds to the depth isn't just the number of players either. And I know that we've, and they've lost Chance Westry too, who was a multiple, multi-positional type player. But between JJ and Judah and Kyle Cuff and Quadir Copeland and Justin Taylor, they've got guards. They've got wings, they've got forwards, and they've got, my, my God, four centers. And between Naheem and Malik can play the center too, so there's a fifth guy. And then they got all these guys that are versatile. You know, we talked about Justin Taylor earlier. He's a guy who can play maybe three positions. Chris Bell is a two-position guy. Uh, Quadir Copeland's another three-position guy. Uh, Judah and, and JJ are, you know, interchangeable in the backcourt. Kyle Cuff, same thing. So they got, you know, not only in terms of numbers do they have depth, but the versatility they've got, you know, it's it's – they got a lot of combinations, and that adds to depth. So, they do, yeah, I, and I, I feel like the answer is yes in the sense that there have been Jim Beheim teams that have had the depth, but you kind of knew there was a cutoff. I think all these guys are on alert. Like, you're going to play. You're going to get in there. Autry has flat out said he's going to go deeper down the bench. He might settle into a rotation. He certainly has sure. the right to do that if it's working. You know, If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. But I think all these guys have the sense they're going to play and they're going to contribute. All right, I think Michael. they definitely were going to have a nine-man rotation and, and then Chance Westry's hurt, obviously. So I don't know if it becomes eight men or maybe it stays nine and this, they're just going to move another guy up the ladder a, a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes that rotations get a little tricky. Um, you know, like you had depth at center last year pretty much, but because of Jesse being so good and who he was, that unless he was in foul trouble, you didn't take Jesse off the floor. And the same thing with like a Judah Mintz. And eventually we might see that. Like maybe you're going to get to a point where, you know, Judah Mintz is pretty darn good. Maybe I don't want him next to me. <laughs> maybe I, maybe he should be on the floor for 35 minutes. And you have depth if you need it, but what do you use it all the time? Our colleague Donna DeToda is going to have a piece on this, friends. It may be out by the time you're watching or listening to this about the four-guard rotation that Adrian Autry is going to employ. So uh, check that out, friends. It's going to be interesting to see. Number two, Mike, what is the ratio of zone versus man-to-man defense that Adrian Autry will play? I think it could be as high as 90% zone, ten I mean, uh, 90% man, 10% zone. Now, I might back that up a little bit and just go 80-20. Mm-hmm. 
but I think the intentions are to play man to man almost all the time. Uh, you know, like I said, you have depth unless this team starts showing that we got a couple guys who can't handle certain people, or we got a couple guys that are so important that and they're but they're getting in foul trouble, and we want to avoid that again. But really, the most that we've seen of zone, and I'm struggling to remember the Damon game already, but I remember the St. Rose game. The only time I really saw zone was on inbounds plays where St. Rose had it underneath their own basket, and Syracuse would play zone then. Other than that, it's man-to-man. So it does seem like, you know, for all intents and purposes, the the, the goal is uh, they want to play man-to-man. Now, maybe that changes, but uh, I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's – this is what Adrian wants to do. I think he wants to get after people and create steals and create some fast break opportunities. I don't mind it. I love that ratio. I think you're right about that ratio. But if you are in game planning during the week and you see a team and you're like, man, they can't play a zone and the ball tips and the beginning of the game, you're like, okay, here's a zone. And you could just see the bewilderment on the faces of the other team. Great. Break it out when necessary. But, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Mike, in the sense that if you want to have an aggressive team that gets after it, that's not a zone defense, right? That's man-to-man, in-your-face, getting after it, creating turnovers. And I think we saw a little uh, sprinkle of this in the St. Rose game. That benefits specific, uh, specifically a guy like Judah Mintz, who can get after the ball, who, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, was up near the top of the league in steals last year. Yes. And now you put him in a situation where he can kind of increase those numbers and those stats and get after it. It, it. it not only benefits him. Now you got JJ Starling at the top of that zone as well, or not at the top of the zone, but at the, you know, up I'm I'm still in zone brain, but those guys getting after it with the opposing ball carrier coming up, like that benefits you to play, to and play man to man. There's going to be some nights where Judah might not get steals, but he can still impact the game defensively just by hounding the other team's point guard and making life miserable for him or taking the ball out of a player's hands. You know, we've seen that sometimes other teams would attack Syracuse and, you know, uh, an opposing guard is just so difficult. You know, you can take a guy completely out of the game one-on-one defensively. And I, I, I Judah actually am playing defense against St. Rose. I was watching him a few times and it seemed like he was really having fun playing defense. Yeah. Like he was in his stance that you know, he was, you know, hunched down um, and like playing a guy all the way over to the, the, the sideline, you know, and just getting after him, bothering him. And um, you know, yeah, if you can frustrate the other team now, but yeah, you make a good point. Listen, you're, they're going to run into some teams where the play is going to be zone. And it's, isn't it great to have that still in your repertoire that you For can sure. get into your bowl bag of tricks and go, we know how to play zone. We're not like some of these teams who go zone desperately and we've never really played it or practiced it. The bulk of these guys know what they're doing, so you can go play zone. I saw some chirping from Judah, too. And if you're doing that in an exhibition game, I like that. He's playing angry, as he said at ACC Media Day, right? Yep. Okay, number three, Mike. What part of the schedule defines the season? The early part of the schedule could define the season. You you have to trip to Maui, and the Maui field is loaded. Uh, we don't need to go over that again. Um, you know, then you got this neutral court game in South Dakota against Oregon, and they're a good team, and a good LSU team's coming to the dome, and you got a road trip to Georgetown, 
And then on top of all these non-conference games, you have to go on the road for the early ACC game to Virginia. Of all people, you got to go to Virginia, uh, which is going to be like a top three, top four team in the ACC this year, probably. That's where they're picked. But so it could define the season if things go really sideways, right? It could also define the season if we get surprised by these guys and they they pick off a few of them. You're like, whoa! All of a sudden, this team's going to be a little better than we thought. They've got a few wins in the back. But I, if let's just say they sort of navigated, you know, not going too far afield either way, doesn't have to define the season. And then if you just get to Christmas and everything's okay. I think this team stacks up well when I look around the ACC. I really, really do. Listen, Duke is far and away, on paper anyway, the best team in the league. And people are talking about Carolina, but Carolina's got so many new faces and transfers. And I know they got R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott. But besides that, do we really know what Harrison Ingram, who had a good freshman year on a bad Stanford team, is going to do at Carolina? I mean, a year ago we thought Pete Nance of Northwestern was going to be the next Brady Manic, but he wasn't. So is Harrison Ingram Brady Manic or is he Pete Nance? I don't know. Is Cormac Ryan coming from Notre Dame going to be the answer at shooting guard? Maybe. I mean, he's, he's going to provide better leadership than Caleb Love and probably maybe be a better teammate. I don't know. But uh, but really, who says Syracuse can't beat these teams? So we'll see. I look to a little stretch in late January, and by then I think we're going to have a real good idea where this team's going to be. And there's a late stretch in late January where they get three consecutive home games. It's Miami, Florida State, and NC State. One of the best teams in the league, most likely Miami. A team coming off a horrendous season last year, but I think they're going to be a lot better, Florida State. And a team in NC State who's right in this mix with Syracuse all the time, right? Probably will be again this year. Let's see what they do in those three games That's a good in one January. Too. And if they can sweep those three, I think they're golden. And if they win two of the three, we're probably still chugging all the way into February before knowing what's going on. But I don't, you know, I, I don't like to like take early season games when at this point in the year, we all, we're all being intellectual about the early season schedule. And then if they go out to Maui and just get trucked by a cup by Purdue and Tennessee, you know, we're going to fly off the handle and say, Oh my God, this guy <laughs> is falling. And it's like, you know, we sort of did that with Syracuse football this year. It's like, if you looked at the schedule before the season started, we knew they were going to win the first four or maybe yeah. three out of four. That's a great four. comparison. Yeah, We knew the next three were going to be bad. But then when those next three were bad, everybody's freaking out. <laughs> now, the, diff- the difference Syracuse with... Fans, I'll let Syracuse football fans freak out after the Virginia Tech game. Exactly. That's fine. I get that. The but difference... to freak out after three straight losses against the best teams in the league. So I, I swear to you, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Brent, I am not going to freak out before Thanksgiving. This is good. I, I like that you're keeping the waters calm a little bit here. Two thoughts. I like that we gave the Carolina alum about 45 seconds there to, to rant about his Tar Heels. Two, need I remind you, Michael, you brought up a lot of great games, but the first big game comes before that, November 14th against Colgate. Because you have lost, if you're Syracuse, two straight to Colgate, and that could be a tone setter right there. That could be a good, we're getting back on track here if you can beat the mighty nemesis that's just down the road here. But I agree. That the Raiders. The Raiders. The autumn wind is a pirate. <laughs> the early part of that schedule tells so much in how they're going to handle it. I think if you're going to play Tennessee, Gonzaga, whatever it ends up being, I want them early. 
when everybody's just kind of trying to figure out what the heck's going on here and you can kind of sneak in there and, and pop them in the nose. And we've just seen the emphasis in non-conference wins. Yes. With the true. NCAA tournament selection committee and the net rankings and everything the past few years, that's what's burned Syracuse a couple of times. And I agree with you. The, the ACC is just, this could work to Syracuse's benefit. It could hurt them. We'll see. It, I think it's just wide open, yeah. so wide open. And you brought up a couple of good points of the schedule there that if anything, it, yeah, don't freak out by Thanksgiving. Maybe try and extend that to Christmas, but right. Syracuse fans are a passionate bunch, so that we might be... Uh, come, come back from Hawaii and that LSU game at home right after they get back. That LSU game is important. Number four, who will lead this team in scoring? Oh, Judah Mintz. Judah, Judah, Judah. Um, I think a lot of guys on this team can score and will, and and certain games, uh, JJ starting is going to lead them in scoring. Justin Taylor's going to have a four for eight night from three point range and finish with 18 points and lead them in scoring on a certain night. Uh, Chris bell could do the same thing with his, you know, three point shooting. Um, but Judah, I think has the best chance to be the constant. The ball's going to be in his hands. He's going to look to score. You know, he's an aggressive score first point guard still a scoring point guard uh so you know i I think judah's probably going to be your leading score by the end of the season but in other games in individual games i think you know they've got a lot of guys who can add to it you know and and score here and there i mean geez we we saw how easy it was for naheem mcconnell to finish with 10 points the other night or 12 whatever he finished with Four dunks and two layups were, you know, made it kind of easy. But that's that's what Naheem will do. When you're 7-4, you kind of stick around the, the the paint there near the basket, and the guards will find you, or they need to. And if they don't, they'll be spoken to by Coach Autry, right? So, you know, even a Naheem McLeod's going to score a little for you or can. But um, I think Judah's the constant, you know, a guy who scored 16 points a game last year uh, should be right there again this year. That might have seemed like an obvious question. I wanted to ask it, though, just based on what the evolution is going to be for Judah. And, Mike, I as much as free throws matter, I don't want to see this too often through the season because the whistle's blowing a lot. We're not seeing up-and-down basketball. That being said, that St. Rose game, Judah Mintz is 20 points. He's 14 of 16 at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. You're going to be aggressive, take it in, look to score. You're going to pile up the points one way or the other. And if you're getting to the free throw line as often as you are, and you can have that kind of percentage, I mean, you've just got 18 points in the bank, right? Even if you don't have like an aggressive uh, officiating crew, just by virtue of, of the net, the natural flow of the game, yeah. you, you need a guy that can hit free throws. And we've seen early on, certainly that he can do that. Yeah. I'd like to set a modest goal for both JJ and, and Judah as the guards who are big guards and will be in the paint and should get fouled. They need to shoot minimum. 80, 82% from the free throw line. I think that's a modest goal. That's fair. Yeah, Jim, that's now, fair. Somewhere out there, Jim Lee and maybe Jerry <laughs> McNamara too are like, 82. <laughs> you know, with my eyes shut, right? You know, those guys made 90% of their free throws. But still, um, you know, but you need to convert. You need to make people pet. And and last night, uh, JJ, four for five. Uh, Judah, 14 of 16. That's really good free throw shooting. So good night. And then we're not even mentioning Chris Bell's nine for nine. Yeah. All right, Mike, number five, who or what is the X factor for this season? 
Well, you touched on it right at the big top. Uh, I think it's the three-point shooting. Judah and JJ last year as freshmen both were hovering around the 30%, 29% range for the season. And hopefully they get better. Um, but I think you're really going to be, you know, the guys you're going to rely on are Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, maybe even a little bit of Benny Williams, who last year proved he could step out and shoot. It didn't shoot it as a high of rate, high volume as Justin and Chris did. But, you know, Benny did make like 39% from three point range. So, I think it's it's those wings and forwards that are going to have to make threes consistently and spread the floor for the guards, which is a little kind of inverted uh, when your forwards are better shooters percentage-wise than, than guards. But I'm a little concerned about that area, though. They, they haven't really shot it well as a team. If you take away Justin Taylor's numbers, Syracuse as a team in the two exhibitions is bad. Now, I know you can't just say take away a player because, no, the players think, you know, Justin Taylor is out there. He is yeah. a guy. So, yeah. you know, it does still mean you have a really good, consistent three-point shooter on the floor, but he's going to have to be on the floor a lot if none of the other guys step up their shooting. And it's a concern because if you don't shoot it well, then teams are going to clog the paint, and all of a sudden Judah and J.J. aren't going to be able to do what they do best. Mike, I put this question on the table just as another excuse for me to say Quadier Copeland. <laughs> I, I just think this guy can make such a difference coming off the bench, the energy he brings, the positivity he brings, the energy in which he plays with. Now, he's got to work on some parts of his game. I think he's got to learn how to harness that energy sometimes. It can get the best of him. But I'd rather have a guy that's you know out there playing too hard as opposed to the other way. I think his three-point defense needs some work, but you just need that sometimes. You just need someone that comes in and just lights up the room. Yeah. And I think he could really help this team. I think he's got to take on a bigger role, of course, as we mentioned, the depth issues that this team may or may not have, depending on how all, the, all these injuries round out. We know that, you know, chance is gone and, and the things that we, we brought up earlier. But every good team, I think, has that guy, right? And I yeah. think he is just primed to be that guy. He so. is an energy guy. He's a Swiss army knife in terms of like his versatility, but the energy is, I, I forget who an old football coach one time told me, I'd rather have a guy who needs to be told, whoa, and not giddy up. That's a good one. And you don't have to tell Cody to giddy up. I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he needs to learn to control it. You know, sometimes he'll take a little bit too wild of a shot, drive in when it's not there, throw a pass when it's clearly not there. Uh, and he loves to, to, to do that little fancy passes. He loves so, to set uh, up his teammates in a, oh, it, with, with flair, with flair. flair. So, yeah. Yes. With flair. Woo. So there you go. <laughs> so it's not the X factor. It's the Q factor in that case. Nice. Very much. Yeah. Very What's much. your Q rating? There you go. We shall see something we'll be tracking throughout the season as we'll be tracking all of this throughout the season. Cause it's here friends Monday night. It starts for real. Uh, before we go, uh, I would like to offer Mike a plug for his podcast, which you should follow and subscribe and listen and everything in between. Uh, what's coming up on Inside Syracuse Basketball, Mike? Well, if it hasn't been published yet, and I think it probably has, um, it will be soon. But most recent part, a big ACC basketball preview with Brendan Marks of The Athletic. Uh, Brendan's based uh, down in the North Carolina's Research Triangle area. 
So he knows that, you know, North Carolina, Duke, NC State, Wake Forest, all that. But he knows the league really, really well, too. And we just had a really fun, wide-ranging conversation about who we think some of the surprise teams are going to be. Uh, got his thoughts on Syracuse, because I always like to get outsiders' opinions on, like, what they're looking at on the team that we sometimes you can you can be almost too close to a picture to really appreciate it. So we talked about Syracuse, and, and we talked about some of the, the top players in the league. So it's a really fun conversation with Brendan Marks. And so, yeah, if, if people want to go look for it, it's the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome. Everywhere you get your podcasts uh, and get this podcast, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, two cups with strings put together. However you listen to your podcast, go check it out. Thank you, Michael. Looking forward to it. We're here, man. It's basketball season. Giddy up. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Brent. All right. Now, wait. There's just one more thing. Have you noticed that college football coaches have been a little feisty lately? There's Dabo Swinney at Clemson. Tyler and Spartanburg called his radio show. It didn't go well for Tyler, as Dabo said that he was part of the problem for questioning a number of things at Clemson, including Dabo's hefty salary. There was Dave Dorn at NC State who told a sideline reporter that Steve Smith can, quote, kiss his ass because Smith had the audacity to go on college game day, call NC State a basketball school. Dave Dorn did that, by the way, after beating Clemson. There's Ryan Day, of course, who the first thing he did after a huge win over Notre Dame a few weeks ago was call out Lou Holtz because Lou Holtz had <gasps> opinions about Ryan Day's physicality and what Ohio State, in his opinion, lacked in that department. There's Deion Sanders, who I've lost track. Just go on Twitter. I'm sure there's something that Deion said today, right? Now, look, this is not an accident by any means, and letting the emotions get the best of them. This is calculated. College football coaches do this by design. I think you know that. But they know that by pushing back and pushing buttons, it'll go viral. There is an army of aggregators out there ready to put it out there and galvanize a fan base, alums, and maybe send a message to recruits and transfers that I'm going to have your back. Which brings me to Dino Babers. Among the chief complaints that I've heard from Syracuse football fans lately is that Babers doesn't show enough emotion, if that's on the sideline, press conferences, whatever the case may be. Now, if I had told you that just a few years ago, you would look at me like I had four heads. Dino Babers? The guy who had all these locker room speeches go viral? Is dull now? Yeah, same guy. It's not like the past four games have given the chances for the cameras to catch Babers blowing up. He certainly hasn't had the chance to clap back with the orange mirrored in a four-game losing streak as of this recording. Now, with Babers, I think Syracuse fans might be running out of reasons to complain. They certainly have dried up the opinions about the performance on the field, so they're turning to the passion or lack thereof that they see. Passion's important to football fans. They want you to love this as much as they do. And by the way, it's not just coaches taking the heat for this, by the way. Viewers of Amazon's NFL television package have been bothered by play-by-play man Al Michaels sleepwalking through the broadcast. I would suggest to those complaining, they look at the games they're giving Al to call, as opposed to Al's call of the games. But I digress. Passion doesn't win football games. Preparation does. The quiet moments in the meetings and practices, spotting something on film, it gains you an edge. You're not going to find those things if you're too spent from yelling too much. 
One of the most successful coaches in the history of the National Football League and the sport itself is Bill Belichick, who hardly gets the needle to move when he speaks. Now, I'm not ignorant to the fact that no sport rides the emotional roller coaster more than football. All the best pregame speeches from sports movies, they come from football. Because you got to fight for that inch. Maybe Babers will get his moment and go viral again somewhere down the stretch and rally the troops for Syracuse football. The truth is, if he doesn't, it'll be time to turn the lights off altogether. And we'll see where passion ranks on John Wildhack's list of resume qualities for prospective football coaches. Ah, yes. A question for you, prospective coach. Do you know how to go viral? That's Syracuse Sports. Thank you so much for watching and listening, my friends. Please subscribe on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon. While you're there, leave us a review. We would appreciate that. We would love to hear what you're thinking about the show, what you want to see on the show, and what you think of the show. That is always open for you, too, on our voicemail line at 315-552-1964. Write down that number. Put it in your phone. Keep it handy especially during Syracuse football and basketball games. Leave us voicemails, and we will incorporate those into our post-game shows. Emily Liker and I will be back Friday Night Lights, Syracuse and Boston College live on Facebook. Follow us on Syracuse Orange Football on Syracuse.com, our Syracuse Orange Sports YouTube page. Me on Twitter and X. We'll put it on the screen here so you can check it out, at Brent Axe Media at Syracuse Orange Sports on YouTube. Emily and I do our post-game shows live. And guess what, kids? It's basketball season, so you know what's going to be happening now? Yep, live post-game for basketball. Myself, Mike Waters, Donna DeTota, either Mike or Donna will join me after upcoming Syracuse basketball games. Maybe we'll let Chris Carlson join the show once in a while as well. He's a good kid, that Carlson. So stay tuned for that. If you can't catch us live, which is great because we incorporate your voicemails, we highlight some of your comments from social media. Hey, that's cool. If you subscribe to Syracuse Sports, you're going to get those post-game shows and you can listen when you want. So we're in the football-basketball crossover. Things are getting crazy, kids. So just subscribe and it will all take care of itself. You'll have it there on your phone, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at your convenience. We thank you for tuning in today. My name is Brent Dax. This has been Syracuse Sports presented by Krause Health, the exclusive health care provider of SU Athletics.